but I discovered uh, several years ago when I was with my kids, I do not like things that go in circles. And, uh, you know, the little strawberry, y'all remember the, the little strawberry things that they have out there and they just go in circles? I was sitting there turning that thing and I thought I was going to die after like five minutes. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the smallest, it's the weenie ride and I was about to die on it. So now what I like to do is go look in the mirrors. And you know those the mirrors that distort your image? I mean, you can stand there and you can look really skinny in some of the mirrors. And if you move a certain way, you can look fat. Or you can, you can step back, and this is one of my favorite ones, is you can give yourself a barrel chest and huge arms. And you know, and so I'm sitting there looking at myself, and I'm like, I'm looking good. Now, even though I can look in that mirror, and it looks like I'm kind of a big guy, it, does that mean I'm going to go enter into the Mr. Universe contest? Uh, absolutely not. Now, now, why is that? Because that's a false image, right? I mean, it's not real. Now, that's a great thing about God's Word. God's Word does not give us a false image. Instead, it gives us a true picture of who we really are. Now, no one enjoys a hypocrite. You know, we don't like it when people say one thing and they do another. We don't like it when they present themselves as being one thing and do something different. And I think all of us would say, well, that's one thing that we cannot stand as hypocrites. Um, I can give you a couple of examples, and you may or may not agree with me. I don't care right now. Uh, one of the things that drives me crazy is when I see, like, Al Gore coming out talking about global warming, and I see him get on a jet plane and fly all over the world. Okay, I don't get that. Uh, another one I don't like is I don't like it whenever I see people who are very pious, and then you get to know them, and they're, like, mean. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that. Now, this is one thing I've learned about myself. I have a great ability, I think it's a gift from God, I can point out hypocrisy in other people in a heartbeat. And my guess is that so can you. Where I struggle is pointing it out in myself. I can see it in, I can see it in y'all in two seconds. But when it comes to me, man, I'm like absolutely blind. And that's what's so great about our scripture today, is our scripture today points out to us who we really are. And James basically in our text today is telling us it is time for people to be real and to get real in their faith. And so how do we do that? Well, we're going to look in James 1 and verse number 19. And I think we'll see some steps we can take to, to see that happen. But just as a reminder, in this book, James wrote this book for Christians who were spread all throughout the ancient Roman Empire. Uh, you might remember they were living all over the place because persecution had risen up in Israel. So they had to escape in order really to be able to survive. And so as they move into these new areas, they're, they're trying to fit in with the people that they now live around, their new neighbors. And uh, some of them weren't having much success. I mean, they were seen as being outsiders. There were others who were being persecuted because of their, their what people thought, their strange faith. And so James wrote this letter, and he's encouraging them to cling to Jesus, to hang on to Jesus, mature in your faith, see God work in your life. And so the big question is, well, well how do we do that? You know, how, do we, how do we hang on to Jesus? And it's, I really think that it comes down to something rather simple. It's by allowing God's Word, the Scripture, to impact your life so that you will see that God is true to his word. And so I think that the message James gives all the way, all these years ago, is still applicable to us today. Guys, if we are going to see God move, we have to allow God's word to impact us. So how does that happen? 
uh, looking at our text today, very first step that James shares with us and how the Bible can impact and change our lives, it begins with us receiving His Word. First step to take is to receive the Word of God. Now look with me in verse 19. That's what James writes. He says, My dearly loved brothers, understand this. And if you don't have this verse underlined, you need to underline this one. It says, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that that all of us have a desire to experience God. I really believe that all of us have a desire to sense the presence and the power of God working in our lives. I really believe that. And yet, for many of us, it's, you know, we say, I'm, I'm trying to do that. I want to experience and know God, but I feel like I'm just beating my head against a wall. It's like, you know, I'm trying to do all these things to have a relationship and to feel the presence of God, but I don't feel anything. So what's up with that? And I think verse number 19 can be a help for us. Uh, The way I learned this verse, it says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And yet I believe what happens to most of us is that we do the exact opposite than what these verses tell us to do. I mean, think about your personal relationships. Those of you who are married, uh, husbands and wives, can, can you think of a time when your spouse came to you and said, listen, I, I just want to tell you that there's some things that, that you've done that have hurt me. That there are some things that you have done that have offended me. And before they are finished getting those sentences out of their mouth, in your mind, my guess is you've already come up with four reasons why you've acted the way that you did, and why it's their fault. Now, I'm the king of this. I mean, Emily can tell me, and it's strange, believe it or not, there are times when I've actually done things that have offended my wife. I mean, that's, how crazy is that? And so she can tell me those things. Before she's done speaking, I can tell her how I'm justified in what I've been doing. Now, just to let you know, that is not a winning game plan, all right? So don't be making excuses. And, And yet, We do the same thing whenever it comes to our relationship with God. We can pull out Scripture and we can see what Scripture teaches us. And then we think and we can can look at it and say, well, I'm not living that way, but here's why I'm not living this way. And we begin to make excuses to God and begin to rationalize away why we are ignoring the commands that God gives us. Because we're trying to justify ourselves. And so we ignore His Word. If you ignore His Word, guess let me tell you something. His Word will not impact your life. In your relationships, we see this happen with our spouses, we parents. You see it happen with your children. I'm sure some of you can think of times when you told your kids, hey, this is a reason why you can't go to this party. You know, this is a reason why we don't want you hanging around these people. And sometimes your kids can respond and say things like, you're old-fashioned, you don't understand, everybody else is doing it. Why are you doing this to me? And, and the reason why we are doing these things is because we know. You know. Because we are speaking from experience. Because we know what is good and what is bad. Because we've been down this road before. Well, the same thing is true with our God as well. Our God speaks with experience. Our God, God is the one who created us, right? If, if you are believing and have faith in Scripture... The Bible says that God is our creator. And so if God is your creator, he knows everything about you and me. 
and he knows where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are. He knows what path we need to walk down in order to live a life that will keep us strong. Now, in my human nature, there are some things that I see that the Bible commands me to do that I, just, I, that I naturally don't agree with, that go against the grain for me. I mean, one of the things that the Bible tells us is it tells us that we are to love our enemies. I mean, does that just like flow naturally for you? <laughs> Not me. The Bible says love your enemies. The Bible says forgive those who have wronged you. Now, it's hard to sit idly by and be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry when you hear things and see things that God's Word is pointing out that goes against the grain. And so my natural instinct is to become angry. But you know what? There are times when God's Word will cut you. You know that? There are times when God's Word will cut us. And I think that most of the time we get frustrated when that happens because we think everything about God's Word is supposed to make me feel all happy and, and you know, warm on the inside. But there are times when God's Word will cut you. We're told in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts, uh, the ideas and thoughts of the heart. You know, getting cut is not always a bad thing. I'm not saying that we enjoy it, but it's not always a bad thing. There are times whenever you have to be cut to get the bad stuff out of your life so that the good can begin to flourish. You know, and I think one of the first things I think of whenever I think of, of cuttings, I think of surgery or I think of like a pruning a tree, a fruit tree. Now, I'm sure that trees, if, if they could talk, if they had feelings, that fruit trees would think, you know what, I just prefer not to ever be pruned. You know, don't cut me. But you know what happens if you don't prune a tree? It's not that I know this from experience, but I know this about reading about it. But if, if, you, don't, if you don't prune a tree, that a, a fruit tree, it's not going to be as productive. It gets overburdened. The, the fruit that it produces is diminished. But whenever you prune back branches, more light's able to come in. The water in the root system is able to run into the, into the roots that are more concentrated. And it causes the tree to be able to bear much fruit, bigger fruit. But when it's not pruned, it's overburdened and doesn't work. So back to the original question. How can God's Word impact our lives? By receiving it. And to do that requires us to trust that God knows what He's talking about. That He's smarter than you and me. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, from, this is from God. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration, for as, as heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the first step that's involved in us allowing Scripture to impact our lives is we have to receive the Word. I mean, you have to, to read it and say, okay, God, I'm opening myself up to whatever it is that you have to say. But then here's the next key. If God's Word is going to impact your life, then after you receive it, you are to practice His Word. You, you receive it, then you practice His Word. Now look in verse 22. There's another one to underline. It says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and right away forgets what kind of man he was. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts... 
this person will be blessed in what he does. Uh, there's an old saying that says, talk is cheap. Y'all heard that one before? And that what's, it's not so important as to what a person says. What matters is what a person does. Now, there, there's no doubt there are some people that refuse to do anything that God tells them to do. They decide they're going to go their own way. God, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, that grieves God's heart, and the reason why is because God knows in our own nature, we are in rebellion against God. Our own nature is always the lowest common denominator. It's just simply to satisfy ourselves, and God's like, you know, if you're going to go after your own way, then you're going to get on a path to destruction. And you say, well, that's not true for me. Let let me just, let's look in Scripture. Here's the truth about who we are as people. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? On our own, our hearts are sick. That's why Jesus came to give us, like, so to speak, a heart transplant. Because we, we all need one. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. Says, I, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now for that to happen begins with us listening to the word of God. Listening to what scripture says. But it takes more than just listening. You know, I know a lot of people, they can, they can hear great advice. Hey, you know, if you're, you go to the doctor, hey, listen, if you're going to get in better shape, and you've got to start doing this, you have to eat better, you have to exercise. And we can listen to that, but if we don't put it into practice, does that do any good? You know, do, do I get better just because the doctor tells me, listen, this is the kind of diet you need to have. Now, just because I have that knowledge, but if I'm still out there packing down donuts all the time, it's not going to change me. The only way that God's word is going to impact our lives is not only if we hear it, but that we actually put put it into practice in our own lives. The analogy James uses in our text is of a mirror. Like I said, we, we look into a mirror to see what we look like so that we can see the changes that we need to make in our life. But what would you say about the guy who goes and looks in a mirror, sees himself and goes, man, I look terrible, and then he goes out and doesn't change anything about himself? He said, well, the, 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 mirror's, the mirror's useless, right? I mean, he might have the knowledge, but if he's not going to act on it, it's not going to do any good. Same thing's true with Scripture. If we look into Scripture and yet we don't apply it and we don't practice it, then it's not going to do any good for our lives. And so the question is, if you're receiving God's Word and whenever you look into the Bible and you see through the Bible and you become convicted and say, you know what, the fact of the matter is I, I don't spend time with God. I don't communicate with Him. I don't... I, I, need, I need help in my prayer life. Here's the question for you. And how are you going to respond to that? Whenever you sense God pointing out to you as you read through Scripture that there are people in your life that you've never forgiven, that you need to forgive, that's great knowledge to have. Here's the question. How are you going to respond to what God's Word says? You see, to experience the power of God in your life requires you and me putting into practice what God's Word says. Now, my fear is that a lot of us are waiting for some spiritual experience before we do anything. Like, if God really wants me to do that, then He's going to send an angel who's going to talk to me when I'm in my bedroom and tell me, you need to do this. 
And so we just sit around waiting for something like that. Guys, when I look in the Bible, I see that I have a responsibility to respond to God's Word. I'm not called to have a feeling before I do something. I'm called to be obedient to what God says. Now, when we don't respond to God's Word, it it reminds me of a story I heard about a, a witch doctor who was with a missionary. And the missionary had a, had a big mirror in her, in her house. And when the witch doctor was in her house, she looked into the mirror and she didn't like what she saw. She saw herself and it was, it was a scary sight. And so she asked the, the missionary, she said, I, I want that mirror. She said, well, it's not for sale. She said, well, I still want, I want to buy it. She goes, well, I'm not going to sell it to you. She said, I tell you, I'll give it to you. And so she gave the mirror to the witch doctor. And as soon as the witch doctor got it, she went outside and she threw it on the ground and smashed it into a thousand pieces. And the missionary's like, what in the world? Why did you do that? And she looked at her and she said, well, now that mirror won't be showing me any more ugly faces. Now, just because we ignore our ugliness, let me tell you something. The Bible points out to us many times our own ugliness, but just because we ignore what Scripture says, let me tell you something. Your ugliness does not go away. It's still there. So what are, we, what are we called to do? We're called to practice the Word. Verse number 25, it tells us that we are to look intently into God's Word. That word intently carries with it the idea of, of, of examining, investigating. It's the same word that's used in, I believe, John twenty twenty-five. Whenever John, the disciple John, was told that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he was no longer in the tomb, John sprints to the tomb. And he goes into the tomb and says he looks intently in the tomb. What's he doing that for? He's looking for Jesus. So people said Jesus isn't here. I'm going to examine it for myself. He looks in there. Jesus isn't there. He comes out and he basically says, I believe. He intently looked. And whenever he looked and found what he through his own eyes what he saw, then he said, it changed him. He said, I believe. Guys, whenever we look into God's Word, we're looking intently to see if what it says is true. And then whenever we look at it and say, you know what, this is what God says. I'm going to trust it and allow it to change my life. And it says if we do that, what happens? It says we will be fulfilled or we'll be blessed. That word blessed carries with it the idea of fulfillment. We live in a time where everybody is the big, you know, sort of the buzzwords, and even in religious circles, but it just in, in the world, we want to find meaning and purpose in our lives, right? One of the best-selling books that we've had in the last probably 50 years is Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. Everybody, everybody wants to know that their life has purpose, and they want to find out what it is. And so a lot of us, in trying to find purpose for our lives, we, we seek after our own things, we, we try to fill up our lives with a lot of stuff to have meaning, and then we end up still feeling empty. And it reminds me of King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Had everything. He said, I'm going to go after all the things of the world to fill my life up. And at the end of the day, you know what he said it was? He said it was all a chasing after the wind. He still wasn't satisfied. What satisfied him? You go to, I believe, Ecclesiastes 12. He said, when I remembered my creator, then I discovered fulfillment. All right, y'all, here, here's the deal for us. To experience the power of God in our lives, to experience fulfillment in our lives, it will come about by us putting into practice what God says. How does Scripture impact our lives? Well, we receive it, we practice it, 
And if God's Word is going to impact your life, if this book that comes from God will impact your life, the last thing I see is that we're also called to share it. To share His Word. The final two verses, verses 26 and 27, it says, If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his, his tongue, but deceiving his heart, his religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Uh, the word religion has gotten a lot of bad press over a number of years. It's real popular for people to say, I'm not, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I've heard that from a lot of people. I mean, I've heard it from you know, people who are my friends. Now, my first time, because I'm fairly literal, I'm like, what does that mean? I'm spiritual. You know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You know, religion actually is not a bad word. Now, I understand the idea, but re- the word religion is not a bad idea. The word religion, it means the outward practice and service to God. That's not, those aren't bad things. So to be religious in the true intent of the word is not a bad thing. Very simply put, true religion is not about ceremonies and rituals. It's about applying God's word and sharing Jesus with other people. If you want to know if you're religious, there's only two questions you have to ask. Does God's word impact my life? Am, am I, when God calls me to do something, am I doing it? And number two, am I sharing Jesus with other people? If you're doing those two things, you are religious in the good sense of the term. Now, you might look at that and you think, well, then how do, I, how do I share Jesus with other people? And this is one thing I like, again, about the book of James is its practicality. And it's just so simple. He's very straightforward in what he says. He says, listen, if you're going to be religious in, in, the, in the sense of that you're going to show an outward sign that you belong to God, that you are serving him, he said it begins with your speech. Now, this is so practical. What what you say is tremendously important. That's why he tells us, he says, you have to control your tongue. That word controlling that is used in our verse, the the word is referring to a bridle. Now, I'm not a horse person, but you know what bridles are for? You put a a bridle bit on a horse's mouth in order to guide and direct the horse. If you're going to guide and direct your life, you have to control your tongue. Because James tells us, he says, you can, you, can say, you can say all these things about who God is to you, but if you don't control your tongue, he says, your religion is worthless. That's a strong statement right there. Pretty straightforward, makes a lot of sense. If we want to make a strong impact for God, and people can see that God impacts our lives, He tells you to watch your speech. Control your tongue. If we want people to take seriously what we have to say about our God, we have to be careful about what comes out of our mouth. Why? Because what comes out of your mouth is a picture of what's on the inside of your life. What comes out of your mouth is a picture of what's inside of you. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now think about that. Your speech is an indicator of who you really are. If we're going to make an impact for Jesus, God's word is going to impact our lives, watch our mouth. Be careful with how you speak. If we're going to share Jesus in a, in a way that is meaningful with people, then James says that you serve people. Now, the, the, the description he uses here is that we serve widows and orphans. And he chose those two people because those two groups of people were the helpless people of his day. 
You know, there wasn't some sort of system in place to take care of widows and orphans. And if your family was not able to provide for you or take care of you, if they were non-existent, then it was almost impossible for these people to survive. And so James says that a sign that we belong to God is that we will serve the least of these. We will, we will serve, not just the least of these, we will serve everybody. We'll serve people. Why is that so important? It's interesting that in this passage of Scripture, whenever we talk about serving, that Jesus gives a demonstration of it with the story of the Good Samaritan. If you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, there was a man who had been beaten up. He'd been robbed and left on the side of the road for dead. And there's all these people that pass by him and nobody was willing to help him. There's religious people just walk right by him. And it could be they didn't want to be defiled before they went to the temple. It could be that they were scared that a trap was being set up. So they just simply kept walking by until a Samaritan man who came by ended up helping the man and restored him to health. There's a great picture of service that Jesus gives there. Um, that, that story in the Good Samaritan, this is an old story. I heard it a long time ago, but... I, I like it. There's a, a Sunday school teacher teaching a little girl's class about the story of the Good Samaritan. She said, if you saw a man beaten up and bruised and bloodied, lying on the side of the road, what would you do? And a little girl raised her hand. She said, I think I'd throw up. Now, now guys, whenever it comes to serving other people, that's, we don't need to throw up. We need to go over and to serve other people. Now, Village Church, we can say all the right things about matters of faith. And there are some of you who are very good at it. And you can tell us what Scripture says, and you can tell us what God wants. But if our faith is going to matter, it's time to quit talking and to serve people. To share Jesus with other people. It's one of the things I love about our church. There's so many of you who are involved in not just talking a big game. I get so tired of people talking a big game that I see people doing. Uh, Michelle James, who's the lady that was over here today singing, uh, she's involved with Prosperity Project Ministries. And I, if you, she was in the paper, yeah, I don't know if y'all saw that in the paper. It had three people making a difference in downtown Columbia. Michelle and her ministry is one of them. And there's many of you that serve with Michelle in that ministry. Well, they go downtown into a, the Gonzales Gardens and they reach out to people and they're, they're mentoring young, young people and they're, they're helping families. And they're not giving a handout. They're trying to give a hand up to point people to a better life that they can have and, and sharing Jesus with them letting, them, letting them know that there's a God who loves them. Another thing that our church is going to be doing is we're going to be starting a new campus. And we're going to go into another area in order to have another service. And not just have another service to, so people can come, you know, hear, hear somebody talk to them about Jesus, but we're going to go over and we're going to begin to minister and reach out into a new community. Why? Because if people are going to take our faith seriously, they don't need to just need to hear us talking. They need to see us doing. Why? Because Jesus has done for us, and we want to share what Jesus has done for us. See, my desire is for you to experience, and for me to experience the power of God. To know that God's real, and it's not just something, somebody that we talk about. But he's somebody who changes the way we live. So, so how can God's word impact us? Let it impact your life when you receive his word, when you practice his word, and when you share his word. And guys, it's time for some of us to begin to put these things into practice. To receive it, to practice it, to share it. And hopefully that's, that's the challenge that James has given you today by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it will convict your heart 
to say, I want God's word to impact my life. Because I don't believe this is a book that's just a good book. I believe this is a book that is the word of God that carries with it power.